It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Thank you for listening in for episode number 100. What a milestone. Episode number 100. Sounds so good. A whole three digits. Uh, well, a huge thank you to all who've listened, spread the word, given me feedback, and of course, to the guests as well for helping me get this far. Launching the podcast was a great idea, but um, a very much a leap into the unknown, and I had no idea if it would work or not. So it really is quite amazing um, to be reaching episode 100. Although technically, of course, this is actually the 115th episode we've released. Uh, and it's also nearly two years since we launched. So lots of lots of big numbers going around. Now, as you all know, normally it's all about the interviews or a conference takeaway. But since uh, back in episode 50, which doesn't seem that long ago, but really was, uh, we did an Ask Chloe and it went down really well with you. So I thought I'd do it again for episode 100. This time, uh, the six questions that I'm going to be answering have come from the members of the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group, which we launched only back in December and is growing really, really strongly. There's lots of great discussions in there. It is totally free to join and you can find it by searching on Facebook for e-commerce master plan world or heading to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook, which will take you straight there. I'd say it's pretty likely we'll be doing some Ask Chloe episodes in the future. So uh, make sure you're in the group so as you can be uh, a question asker for those episodes and get, get your name checked. But also, you know, for in between times, lots of questions are being asked and lots of answers are coming in both from me and from other members of the group. Now, the six questions we're covering today include marketing, startups, copywriting, organisation, conferences and, and a fair few other topics as well. So, so let's dive in. Question number one is from Andre Nugent. And Andre, if I've got your surname right, I really apologise. He's an avid listener and a really prominent member of the Facebook group. And Andre runs a business called Spectacle.com, which is S-P-C-T-C-L. It's like spectacle without the vowels. Uh, and he sells sunglasses. Really interesting business. Well worth going checking that one out. But his question for me is, what are your recommendations for conferences, seminars, workshops that a beginner e-commerce owner should attend? Well, big question, especially as Andre hails from the US, which I'll be honest, I've never been to an e-commerce conference in the US, although there are some on my wish list. Well, let's focus on that bit, the beginning e-commerce owner. Um, I think when you're at the beginning, you, you need to be a bit of a sponge in your learning whilst you're very focused in what you implement. So it's worth going to conferences that have very wide ranging uh, subject matter, a very wide range of topics being covered, really so you, you can find out what you don't know you don't know. Uh, it also means when you're looking at conferences with a range of topics, you know, so you're not going to purely to an advertising conference, you're going to a, a general marketing or general e-commerce conference. The joy of that is also that it lowers the risk of the money and time commitment you're making to going because... Even if it's a free conference, right at the beginning of the journey, to take a whole day out and go somewhere else, it's a big commitment. So you need to make sure that you're you're going to be getting the best back for your effort that you can. And often going to a generalist conference will give that give that to you. Also, I'd say keep an eye out for online conferences, you know, web summits and that sort of thing. 
They're often cheaper, not least because a lot of us use them for uh, lead generation, you know, for getting signups. And those ones are easier to dip in and out of. You know, if there's only two sessions that you really want to listen to, well, usually they run over a whole week. So you can just dip in for the ones you want. Always a bit easier. Um, there's no online ones coming to mind right now. Uh, there is the Ecom Days that happens. I don't I don't know if they've got another one scheduled at the moment. And keep your eyes peeled because there might be something coming in this space in the future. Uh, but enough of that. Uh, so what I would say, though, is um, stay signed up to my newsletter because every week I give updates of events that are coming up. So uh, if you want to know when there is something good online or offline in the world of e-commerce, then keep an eye on my newsletter. So here's my recommendations for actual events rather than the strategy of how to find those events. In the US, Shop Talk would be on my must attend, that's shoptalk.com. They often give away tickets to smaller retailers, uh, so it's well worth being on their list so you know when that's happening. Uh, it's just happened, so you've got a whole year to wait for the next one, unless of course you're in Europe where they're planning their very first event in Copenhagen this autumn, which I'm really tempted to fly out for. I've also in the US heard very good things about Etail East and West. It happens in August in Boston and February in Palm Springs. You can find those by either Googling them or looking at uh, etailwest.wbresearch.com or etaileast.wbresearch.com. I would also say when you're going to these kind of big conferences, I'd prioritise just the one when you're a beginner because you're going to come back stocked with ideas. And, you know, if you go to multiple ones, you're simply just going to get more ideas, but you're still not going to have the time to implement them. So I make sure you go to at least one a year, but I wouldn't worry about going to, to more than that because it's really about absorbing those things on learning what you didn't know. You didn't know about where you might be in the future, about where you could be right now. And then you've always got to go for the implementation in the UK. For free content, both Internet Retailing Expo and E-Commerce Expo are very good. Internet Retailing Expo happened a few weeks ago. Uh, you'll have had my takeaways from that. And E-Commerce Expo is in September, I do believe. That one happens in London, whereas Internet Retailing Expo happens in Birmingham. In terms of paid content, uh, for the beginner, I'd focus on events run by the Direct Commerce Association. There was one last week that will have... We may well be having takeaways coming from soon. I haven't been to it yet, so I don't know if it was good enough to bring you takeaways. I expect it was. Um, so that will be coming up very, very soon. And they have a big summer event in June in London that's well worth attending. Lots of different things going on at that one for your for your different interests. So that's quite a good one to go to for paid. Finally, and this goes for anyone in any country in terms of places to look for things to go to. Um, this one requires a little bit of research, a little bit of bit of um, finger keyboard clicking. Look for events run locally via the Meetups platform. So Meetups is meetup.com and lots and lots and lots of networking groups manage their attendance and events via there. In the UK, there are lots of great meetups that happen via that platform. Um, there's some great ones in London run by We Make Websites, the Shopify specialist. There are some great ones that happen all over the country, run by uh, Online Seller, I think, is, is the name of the, the, the guy who does those. But they're often quite, quite marketplace focused. But just go to meetup.com, search for e-commerce, retail or marketing. You'll find things in your area. The great thing about these smaller events is that they usually enable you to get to know 
other e-commerce beginners, other e-commerce owners. And it's always great to have those one-on-one chats. So I definitely look at those smaller events. And there's loads of those going on these days because all of us, um, and I kind of include myself within this, but you know, the website builders, the agencies, they all have to run events in order to you know, get their customer base. So they're usually running some phenomenal events. Okay, whatever event you're going to though, be it a free one, a big one, a paid one, um, a small one, check the agenda. Be really thorough in your look at the agenda. Are there lots of sessions you're going to get value from? It's a, it's a full day and you only think one of the sessions is going to be good. Is it worth going? So check the agenda to decide whether you're going to go. And then, of course, make sure you actually turn up to those ones that you've gone gone to, gone to the event for. And also check the exhibitor lists. There's a lot that can be learned from the exhibitors. It's a great time to kind of like suss out what you may invest in in the future, who you might hire to help you in the future. So look at the exhibitor list and work out in advance who you want to speak to. Work out who it is that you want to get in front of and ask some questions of when you get to the event. And make sure you've got time to do that. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully, Andre, that's answered your question. Um, if anyone's got any other suggestions for great events, please do add them in the Facebook group. Because, um, as I said, you're going to these events to find out what you don't know. And there may be conferences I don't know about. So, uh, so let's, conferences and events. So please do share them in the Facebook group if you've got some additions for that. Okay, question number two. This one's a question from Australia. So we're being very international today. Uh, This is from Sarah Foley, who works for Kmart in Australia. Big old retail chain over there. And she wants to know what makes a great About Us page. Well, this is a subject close to my heart. Uh, It continues to frustrate me when I see an About Us page that purely has the company's contact details. How boring is that? That is not helpful to the customer. The customer's going to the About Us page because they want to know more about you. They want to find more reasons to buy from you, more reasons to trust you with their cash. So my first thing about what makes us a great about us page is that it's not just your contact details. I hate that. And I also should also say uh, I did check out Kmart before I said that and that's not what Kmart is. Kmart is pretty good. Always room for improvement. Uh, so that was that very much wasn't a dig at Sarah and her team. Okay, so the first real thing to do, though, is to work out what does your About Us page exist for and who is its audience? Is your About Us page for your existing customer? The one who's already bought in, who loves you, who wants to know what's going on in the business? Is it for the first time customer, that person who you've got there through some of your marketing, who is having a look around, seeing if you're the people they want to buy those goods from and they just want to know that bit more? Is it for the press? You know, are you on a big PR bent at the moment and you want to make sure that the press have the right story about your business? Is it for your suppliers? Is it a way you're using to build credibility so you can get those new suppliers you want for your business? Now, I do suggest that you write an About Us page for the new customer because that will, by, by its very nature, help the existing customer. And then if you need to have strong pages for the press and for suppliers, create separate pages for them. Um, it's uh, it's a different way you'd write it for the press as to how you'd write it for the existing for their first time customer rather. So often it's worth having separate pages. So you have like a press press room where all the information for the press is and logos and pictures and downloads and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the about us page. So the about us page 
Work out who the audience is. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be the first time customer, the first time visitor to your website. And then what does it exist for? Well, usually it's about building trust with the customer and getting them to feel more connected to your business so they buy. After all, that's pretty much the aim of everything on your website is to help the customer feel more connected, trust you more so they're ready to part with their cold, hard-earned cash uh, and trust you to deliver the goods they want. So what can you put on that About Us page in order to help them feel more connected to you? Well, fundamentally, it is called the About Us page. So what they want to know is they want to know about your story, about your history, about who's there, what happens behind the scenes. So what from that can you put out there? Now, if you're a business like Kmart who's been around for years and years and years and years, decades in fact, then talk about the history, talk about why the business was founded, how that vision has continued to be part of the story and what the aims of the business are and show pictures of original Kmart stores to show people that you you can be trusted because you've been around for so long, you've been delivering great service to customers for so long. If however you know you're a brand new startup and you've only been around for 12 months, make a you know make a virtue of that. Say, you know, we launched in 2016 because we saw that there was a gap in the market for what we do. We saw that people just weren't being served well as they were buying X or people who really needed this product couldn't find it. So we've launched it. We're helping them. And in our first six months, this has happened and it's been amazing. So it's there are no wrong situations you know being being an old business is good being a new business is good you've just got to create the copy the pictures etc that really really sell it so think about what of your story your history and the behind the scenes is going to help the customer to feel more connected it's going to vary from business to business as just kind of outlined really simply but it might include here's some ideas for you pictures of the team and the founders the history and pictures from the past even if the history is only a year you know, maybe you've got a picture of day one or the first order going out. Um, how big the company is, you know, how many people you employ, how many customers you look after. That might also um, feed into the number of reviews you've had. So you're putting some social proof in there. How long you've been around, why you care, why the business started. You know, what was the reason why you went, we needed to do this? The mission and vision type stuff, whatever you call it. Put that in there. Why, 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 why are you doing what you're doing? That's what the customers are going to connect to, your why. Social proof. So you can get those review scores in there. We, So for example, maybe text like, we care about how well we serve our customers. So we're really proud of our five-star Yotpo, Trustpilot, Reviews.co.uk, whatever it is, rating. Link off to other useful things as necessary, you know, so if you've got like a founder's blog, link off to that. Don't try and include it all right there on the page. And maybe you want to tell stories about the latest collection or the products. Link off to those again. There's plenty of, plen- you don't have to fit it all on that About Us page, but that About Us page needs to be compelling. Right, the last thing I'm going to say about the About Us page is kind of a, a health warning. Now, the About Us page is never, ever finished. Of course, it's not going to be finished because every day who you are as a business changes ever so slightly. It's also a page which you may well never, ever be happy with because it's a really difficult one to write. You know, writing about ourselves, you know, naturally, certainly in Britain, we are terrible at um, at self-promotion. So 
don't worry if you don't feel 100% happy with it. If it's more than just your contact details, it is an improvement. Um, so I don't think you'll ever get it absolutely 100% perfect. I don't think it's ever something that you can ever say, right, about us page done. We can ignore it forever now. It's something which evolves. So you just have to, I would say every six months, go back and take another look at it, take another stab at it. And, um, and surprisingly enough, just keep optimizing it. Okay, um, right. Question number three. Question three is from Charlene Jacker of Clayspace. Now, Charlene is a creative genius and an Etsy uh, guru. And she's part, currently part of our mastermind group, actually. Um, and Charlene has, because she's busy uh, evolving into the the own site world. And so her questions, well, she actually asked two questions. So I'm kind of combining them into one. And uh, Charlene, I hope this is all right. Uh, she says, I would be curious about what is the single most important thing that can be done to drive sales? And what's the best way to increase site visitors? Well, obviously in the world of e-commerce sites, a visitor, you only want a visitor to come if you think a visitor can drive you sales. So my answer is, and this may not surprise many of you, is email marketing. And the reason I believe email marketing is the single most important thing that can be done to drive sales and that will increase site visitors as well is because it is the essential e-commerce sales driving channel. Uh, Castora, who I often quote, their latest report that I've seen was from November 2016, in which through their analysis of the sales of many, many, many e-commerce businesses, 25% of sales were directly driven by the email marketing channel. 25%. So one in four sales comes from email. And the reason why that is, is because you're in control of your email marketing list. You can send them the message you want. You can build the relationship you want with them over the time scale that you want. You can make sure the right things are in front of them. They should be your most engaged customers. It's it's the bedrock, really, of your sales. So you have to focus on growing that quality list, welcoming those people into the fold, treating them well. And if you do all of that, it will form, as I said, the bedrock of your sales. Now, I can talk for absolute hours about email marketing. So rather than do that right now, I'm going to suggest a few tools and resources. On the website, you will find my email capture checklist and my welcome campaign checklist, which will also help with About Us page thoughts, um, if you want to grab it for that. They're both totally free. You can sign up for either of them by... Um, actually, I'll put links to them in the show notes. So head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, find this one. And you'll find the links there. Alternatively, they're linked to from the freebies in the footer of the site. If you sign up for either of those, you'll also get these as my course, which is all about that first stages of email marketing. Um, I also would suggest you give Facebook lead ads a test. This is a great way of generating new signups. So it kind of tackles your increasing site visitors, but you're actually getting people really bought in and it's a good good use of your Facebook ad spend to get someone actually signed up to your website not just clicking Um, because then we can continue the conversation with them and those I've also got a blog post about how to to do Facebook lead ads so I'll add that into the show notes as well and the other thing I would say is use pop-ups 
but turn them off on mobile so you don't get in Google's bad books. But using pop-ups is really, really great way to convert as many as possible of those visitors to your website into email. And links to, oh, and on the pop-ups front, sumo.me is a great plugin that works on most sites. It's a great way of um, of testing and optimising those pop-ups because if you optimise it well, you should be able to get at least 5% of site visitors signing up. And I think if you can, can do that, really focus on getting the sign-ups, really work on those welcome campaigns, the sequences that come after that, then you're going to see that any work you do in the future on increasing site visitors is really going to grow the sales. Um, links to all of that is in the show notes. I'm aware that I guess increasing site visitors, she says, as she's reading her script and going completely off script, what's the best way to increase site visitors is not necessarily the most important thing to drive sales. So the most important thing that can be done to drive sales, Charlene, definitely email marketing. The best way to increase site visitors it all depends on what you mean by best. The quickest way to increase quality site visitors is to do advertising either on Facebook or Google. And the so that'd be the quickest way, but of course that does cost you money. The um, the other way, which can be quite quick, in order to increase site visitors without you know having to spend lots of time building a social profile or SEO and so forth, would be to look at partnerships you can do with other businesses or joint ventures you know who else is targeting a similar demographic and what can you swap with them can you swap your can you buy some space in their email or can you swap space in their email you know in one of your emails you promote them and they promote you can you swap things that go in your parcels finding ways of working with other businesses targeting a similar customer base can be a really great way to increase traffic to your business and especially quality traffic coming into your business I feel like that that answer got a little bit rambling but I'm hoping you got the key messages out of that so uh, that was driving sales email marketing increased size visitors site visitors even email marketing obviously good also advertising pay-per-click with Facebook and Google for very quick results and uh, then partnerships and joint ventures as a way to very quickly impact an increase in site visitors that would also include influencer marketing with blogs and you know getting them to talk about you and all those kind of good things so that's kind of a, a rabbit hole we could dive down okay we're halfway through the questions we're coming up to question number four if you have anything to add to any of those questions or you've got questions you can't believe I'm not answering then uh, please do head over to the Facebook group which, it, which you'll find via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook and ask your question there. And everyone in the group and me will, will help answer it for you. Right, question number four. This is from Sarah Bailey of Two Green Monkeys. And she does handmade personalised baby gifts uh, within the UK. They are awesome. If you're stuck for something to take to a baby shower or a christening, go and, uh, and check that out. And Sarah asks the question, what is the one most important thing, all in capitals there, uh, a one person business with lack of time as they do the website, marketing, accounting, product development, photography, sewing the bespoke products to order, etc. You get the idea, smiley face, in terms of marketing. So just in case you lost track of that there, what is the one most important thing a one person business with lack of time can do in terms of marketing? Uh, and uh, and now Sarah put, P.S., please no one mention delegate. I love what I do and believe doing it all myself actually saves time and hassle in the long run. Well, sorry, Sarah. Uh, first, you're wrong on the delegating front and I am going to mention it. 
If you pick the right thing to delegate, find the right person and train them right, then it saves so much time and hassle. I would strongly suggest you start with accounts. Um, A good bookkeeper is worth their weight in gold. Then I'd consider looking at the photography. Um, I really do recommend you you persist with, um, because I'm going to take a rough guess, you've had some bad experiences with, uh, with outsourcing in the past. I really suggest you persist with delegation because I think once you once it happens right, um, it can become somewhat addictive. Uh, have a read of Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker for details on how to go about doing this. OK, rant over. Sorry, Sarah, I know you didn't want me to mention that, but I couldn't not mention it. But that's not the number one thing you could do in terms of marketing, is it? So what is the number one thing you could do in terms of marketing? Well, I could go on about email marketing again and give you the same answer I've given to Charlene's question, but um, that would be me taking the easy route and would not make for a particularly interesting podcast. So here's the more pertinent advice I would give to anyone in your situation, which is ring fence half a day a week that you spend purely on your marketing. Get that discipline of going, right, Friday morning is my marketing time or Wednesday afternoon. And it's okay if it moves from week to week, but every Monday go, right, This is where my half day of marketing activity is. And set aside that time. Ignore everything during that time span. And I do include the customers in that. I know that's um, probably feels quite, oh, my God, if you're going to ignore the the responses to customers during those three hours. But set that side of time, set aside that time even to completely focus on your marketing, because if you're going to get the marketing right, you need to be focused on it. It's one of those things, if you get distracted, it just doesn't happen as well. Now, one of the reasons I say to do it this way is because pretty much all your marketing can be done in advance and scheduled, whether it's Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, any of those social media channels, be it your emails, be it blogs, whatever you're up to and advertising and um, optimizing those ads, pretty much all of it can be done in advance and doesn't need to be done on the fly. Certainly not the creation and the execution of it yes responding to things has to be done kind of in real time so when you sit down for that half half day I would keep a list going um, in whatever you use for your lists be it be it Evernote or Google spreadsheets or or something on your phone whatever you're using for lists keep a list of marketing things you want to do rank them in terms of which are your most important and each time you sit down for that half day go right what is the most important marketing I can do today I would suggest a weekly email would be the number one and then it might be optimizing any advertising you've got going on and then it might be scheduling the next set of social media posts you may find it's easier for you if you go right first week of the month I do all my emails in that morning the second week of the month I do all my social media for the month third week of the month I do I don't know uh I do blog posts and then the fourth week I do whatever other projects are going on. You may find that two hours is enough for you. You may find you need to make it five hours. But I promise you, if you set aside those blocks of time, the marketing that you're doing will take considerably less time than it would if you're doing 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. So really focus on setting aside, ring fencing that half day a week and commit to doing that to enable you to really make your marketing fly because it will it will improve the quality of the marketing it'll, it'll actually make the marketing take less time but it does take a bit of discipline i hope that helps um 
I hope, Sarah, that gives you gives you an answer you're happy with after my, my rant about delegation. Let's move on to uh, question number five. And this time it's a question from a Sarah instead of a Sarah. Uh, there was no priority to people given to people called Sarah or Sarah. We just happened to have um, have three questions from them. So this time it's Sarah Jones, uh, who's a, a great member of the Facebook group. And what Sarah wants to know is what is the single most common mistake I see e-commerce startups making? Wow. Now there's a big question. Um, the single most common mistake. That's really tough to drill it down to one. Um, I've written down four answers here. <laughs> I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to be good and go down to one or I'm going to give you all four. Well, given how many podcast guests I, I allow to uh, to give us more than one book, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm going to go with all four. Well, there's kind of three and then a overall one at the end. Uh, OK, so planning and research is kind of the first common mistake. They've found something which they're really passionate about and therefore they're just assuming there's a market out there for it. And they put all this effort into building it without having spoken to a single customer, done a single how many searches are this there for this on Google. They haven't done, a, you know, really dived into what the financial metrics of it are. Is it possible to get marketing in front of the customer base or the target customer base for the price which you can afford to pay for it? All that kind of sense checking of is this actually a viable business hasn't happened um, and you know and that kind of includes is there the budget there to do it as well so I would say planning and research is a big mistake that people make because it's it's not and fundamentally this boils down to it's not enough for you to be passionate about it you've got to check there's people who you can get your marketing in front of who are passionate about it too uh, persistence would be the another very big common mistake which is people have come up with a great idea and they give it three months and go and stop and it's like oh you really you really can't afford to do that in the first year you're learning what the what the cycle of your business is you know whilst you're growing so you're not going to get it 100% correct anyway you have to you have to persist you know you've got to give it at least 18 months I think before you can really say whether it's working or not really just got to got to persist at it so that's quite a common mistake I see people people making is they they give up hope too early and they don't really drive it and of course it becomes a lot more difficult to persist if you haven't really planned and researched the third one then would be pivoting and by pivoting I mean listening to the feedback from the business listening to the results that you're getting and going okay this uh, Google shopping campaigns isn't working for us. Uh, either I'm going to try outsourcing it to an expert for a month and see if they can improve it. I, was it me or was it the tool? And uh, instead, we're going to focus on Facebook ads or realising, OK, our plan is to send one email a month. Oh, my God, all our sales are being driven by email. Great. No, actually, you should be going all our sales are being driven by email. Great. Let's do one a fortnight and make sure we've got all our, our automated campaigns working. So pivoting is really about listening to the feedback you're getting from the business in all its forms and then changing direction. That might be changing direction with product, with price, with proposition, with design, with um, UX, with the marketing. It could be anything that you're up to. It might, you might even pivot and discover you've got a totally different customer base than the one you thought you were going to have. So really all three of those and I guess this is where, Sarah, rather, I'm going to be properly answering your question. 
what what's the single most common mistake you see e-commerce startups make? It's it's failing to listen to the customer, both before launch, during launch, and after launch, is what all of those boil down to. It's not listening to your target market and understanding what they want and if they even exist and are willing to spend the money you want them to. So single most common mistake, not listening to the customer. And that's not just for startups either. (laughs) That's also for much bigger businesses, uh, which I shouldn't really be laughing at, should I? Uh, Anyway, question number six. This is from long-term listener, Mike Gosheron of Hubam, which is H-O-O-B-A-M, another UK listener. And he's got kind of like a four-part question. Which start. I'll I'll read you all the question bits and I'm going to answer it part by part. Okay, so Mike wants to know, what is the best template design for emails that actually generate product sales? Are lifestyle images of products in use more effective than manufacturer product shots? Uh, should we take our own photography to differentiate ourselves from competitors and any email design tips to improve conversions? Okay, so let's start with the first part of that question, which is what is the best template design for emails that actually generate product sales? Well, first off, I'm not a fan of the template, so I'm not going to tell you exactly how to lay it out because I think it does vary from business to business what the key messages are that you need to get in there. I would say, however, that it needs to be mobile responsive. It's got to look good on a mobile. It also needs to, in terms of what what an email needs to do in order to generate you product sales, needs to get the customer to the website fast. They can't buy in the email unless you're using Apple Pay or something, but that's a whole other story. Um, So you need to get them to the website to the right product to buy. So generally, the, the greatest product sales Um, performance emails will be ones which have almost like a category listing, images of the products with clear calls to action, uh, the pricing, any discounts you've got. And, you know, they can literally click, go to the product page, add to basket, check out. That tends to be the greatest impact on product sales without offering a discount in terms of the bestest ever template design for generating product sales would be a big image that says sale now on uh, and that that tends to be the best performing one but that's a bit of bit of a negative one in some ways because it's not selling your full price product which I'm guessing is what you're really focused on here the other thing I do within it is make sure you've got some text links make sure you've got lots of clear call to actions give people reasons to get to the website and if you know that your customers Number one concern before buying is, is there free returns if you're in fashion? Um, Is it the cost of delivery? Is it the type of delivery? Have they got to be in? All those kind of things. Whatever that that most common barrier to conversion, the question the customers most ask of you, make sure that's cleared up in the email to encourage them through to the website. And alongside that, add those trust building elements, you know, review scores, guarantees, free P&P, customer testimonials, add those things in there. So basically everything you do on the homepage or on the product page to encourage the purchase, you do the same thing in the email. I'm going to move on to the second question now. So are lifestyle images of products in use more effective than manufacturer product shots? This is one which really, really varies. Um, And I want to tell you about some experience I've had with this sort of thing and some experience which a lovely lady called Gabrielle, who will hopefully be on the podcast soon, who is the content director, I believe it is, at Argos Sainsbury's, a massive retailer in the UK. 
And she got asked a version of this question when we were doing a panel together at Internet Retailing Expo. And Gabrielle's answer was, it depends on the product and on the on the view that people are taking. So roughly speaking, if you're talking about a, de- uh, a piece of garden furniture, for example, on mobile, someone wants to see that cutout shot, you know, where they just see the product on a white background as the first image. They can Because the image is so small, they want that clarity. On desktop, you can use the larger, more lifestyle shot image. And again, it varies from product to product. You know, if you're uh, if you're buying deodorant, then quite frankly, a manufactured product shot is good. I don't really want to see someone using the deodorant. Really, really off the wall example there. But I think you, you get what I mean, a bit of an extreme one. The other thing I would say is that you really do have to test it for your audience as well. A level within this is the model. You know, if you're selling fashion, you're doing model shots. It's really important to get the right model. A lot of um, effort goes into this with the mail order fashion businesses to find the model that the customers like. And you can put the same item on two models in exactly the same pose in exactly the same location. And the sales levels will be wildly different. So you've also got to really focus on finding out what your customers respond to. And that can be the person in the shot, the background in the shot. You've really got to find the style that they like. So um, so both, both manufacturer product shots and lifestyle images have a place. Uh, the important thing is that you're giving the customer the information they need at the time they need it. Okay, part three. Should we take our own photography to differentiate ourselves from competitors? Yes. <laughs> it's that simple. Yes, you should. But I'm aware that that's expensive. So I would focus on uh, doing it as a test with your top 10% bestsellers. Look and, you know, and if it works with them, then you can see, right, how much did that impact on our sales? And is it therefore, you know, what point is it worth us taking the, our own photography and at which point in terms of sales volume per product should we rely on the manufacturer product shot in an ideal world you know if money wasn't an object you take your own photography of every single product however that's not usually realistic so start off with the best sellers and see what impact it makes and then make the correct decision as to how deep through the product base you're going to do it um, okay, that was quite a quick answer, wasn't it, to that third part? Fourth part of question six, Mike. Uh, I hope this is good. Is oh, I didn't. I was going to read the answer. The answer out without reminding you what the question is. Okay, the question is: any email design tips to improve conversions? Well, I think I went through quite a th- lot of this in the first space, but the the key things really are text links and clear call to actions, and making sure it's visible on a mobile would be the key design tips. The other side of improving conversions from email, of course, is to make sure that you are um, thinking about deliverability. So you're suppressing people who aren't responding to your emails so you don't get those spam complaints. And also that you've got the automated campaign set up to improve conversions. You know, So if someone's just bought something, you're sending them your post-purchase campaign which should have specific information to encourage them to make the next purchase or to recommend a friend, you know, whatever your post-purchase aim is. If they've just signed up, you've got that good, wel- good strong welcome campaign going out to them to, to get them to understand your business better and to get them to convert. So that's what I would say in terms of email design tips to improve conversions. I hope that's helped, Mike. And that, that is our sixth question. 
So you can find details of the questions that I've been asked and any resources I've mentioned in the show notes. Head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast to find them or head to the website, do a search. You know how it works by now. Um, there were six very eclectic questions there, which I hope have those of you who asked the questions, I hope that's helped. I'm sure you're going to let me know in the Facebook group if it hasn't. The rest of you, I hope that's helped you with some of your challenges. If it's if it's if it's helped you identify a problem that we haven't answered here, then why not join the e-commerce master plan Facebook group yourself and ask that question? You'll get my answers as well as feedback from the other members of the group. Alternatively, if you'd like my help, and I just warn you, this is a little bit of a promotion coming up here. You could join my brand new Get More Customers Club. It launches today as this uh, podcast goes out and all the details, including some launch week special offers, you will find by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash club. We're not closing the cart on this. You can get it anytime. So if you're listening to this a few weeks later, don't worry. It's still a great deal and you can still find it. But if you're listening in our launch week, there are some great launch week special offers. So head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash club to take advantage of those. Within the e-commerce, uh, the e-commerce, the Get More Customers Club, um, you'll have a chance to real-time chat with me over video calls to fix your problems, not just the Facebook chatting, and it's uh, and lots of training and other items as well. But you can find out all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash club. Well, everyone, happy episode 100. Have a great week. And of course, as always, keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.